Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kevin Borba here, and this is The Wind Calm. I'll be doing today's episode solo as my co-partner, co-host, Caden, is not feeling well. So hopefully he feels better. Um, a lot has happened since our last episode, which was probably a couple months ago. Winter break came. Christmas passed. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to everyone. Um, a lot has happened in sports. A lot of good, a lot of bad. We're going to start off with a very, on a very sad note. Um, Lakers legend and NBA legend, future Hall of Famer Kobe Bryant and eight other people, including his daughter, passed away in a helicopter crash when the conditions were way too foggy for the helicopter to be flying. They got special clearance, but their pilot, for some reason, was not flying high enough, and sadly, their helicopter crashed. Um, Kobe Bryant was a very influential person that he not only influenced uh, just basketball players, he influenced people across all um, categories of life, whether it be rap artist, um, musician, other musicians, uh, baseball players, basketball, basketball players, obviously football players. Kobe Bryant was a very influential person. Um, that was evident as his passing. A lot of players were really affected by that. Uh, when you think of somebody like Kobe Bryant, you think of someone or like, I personally, you just never think about someone like him passing away at a young age, especially cause he was only 41 years old, I believe. Let me make sure on that. Yeah. Kobe Bryant was, he passed away at age 41. So he was still really young. He was getting into so much more than basketball. Um, for a while, people just thought Kobe was going to be an intense competitor in basketball. And once he retired, he kind of just stepped away from the game. But it was pretty cool to see that he started to get interested in basketball again when his daughter, Giannis, uh, who was 13, which is also sadly one of the people who passed away in the helicopter crash, she was starting to pick up interest in basketball, and she was getting really good at it. So it was really cool to see Kobe Bryant back in the game because for a while he wasn't really going to games. I guess he had only been to a few games after his retirement, and of course it was uh, a couple Laker games with his family, but it wasn't anything special. With Gianna, his daughter, he was going to multiple games to watch player, watch certain players to teach her the game, which it was just really cool to see that. So it's really unfortunate that they passed away, and so the other families as well, other people involved. is devastating. Just to give you some of Kobe's highest accomplishments in basketball, he was the 13th overall pick, five-time NBA champ, two-time final MVP, 18-time NBA All-Star, four-time NBA All-Star MVP, nine-time defensive player of the year, or first-team defensive NBA All-Team, well, nine-time All-NBA defensive team. And then he was a two-time Olympian. Um, Mike Krzyzewski, the head coach for the Team USA team for when Kobe Bryant was playing, said that Kobe was one of the reasons that they were so successful because – it showed guys like the LeBron James of the world or like guys that were elite in the NBA that it was actually worth playing in the Olympics because they had Dwayne Wade. They would get uh, Chris Bosh at the time, Chris Paul, Darren Williams, Dwight Howard, Chris, uh, Chris Paul. Like they were able to get a lot of elite NBA players to come and play. And Mike Krzyzewski credits that to Kobe and he credits Kobe for being the team leader of all the players on Team USA, which if you think about it, Team USA is basically – Combine the two NBA All-Star teams minus the guys from other countries because obviously it's for Team USA. And those are basically who's on Team USA. So for Kobe Bryant to have such command and such respect from all the players, it was really, really cool to see Kobe kind of start a generation of NBA players actually wanting to play in the Olympics. And his daughter Gianna was only 13 years old. And Kobe told a lot of people that, she was going to be special. Kobe believed firmly that she was going to be 
one of the best women basketball players, if not one of the best basketball players of all time. He was telling other a lot of basketball players or a lot of close friends that he had that she's worth watching, that she was someone that we'll see in the future that would be a prominent athlete, and we just didn't get to see that. They were both gone too soon, um, just like the rest of the people in the crash. Um, a lot of family, me- a lot of families, and a lot of family members have been affected by this. It's a very unfortunate situation. Um, prayers go out to all the families that have been affected, and all the people that have been affected. Uh, Kobe Bryant was so influential that his he has like a Kobe Bryant army of fans, and those people I'm sure are devastated because Kobe Bryant instilled in a lot of people what is known as Mamba mentality. If you don't know what that means, it's like the mentality that no one can outwork you, and no one can be better than you. Kobe Bryant firmly believed that he was the best, not because he felt that he had all the skills just naturally. He believed he was the best because no one would outwork him, no one would outsmart him, and no one would just outperform him if he was trying his best and get putting in 100% effort. There's a commercial that's really funny, and I think it really speaks volumes as to what mama mentality is, is when Kobe Bryant's talking to Kanye West, and Co- Kanye West keeps asking Kobe for advice, and Kobe says, do more. And Kanye's like, what the F does that mean, Kobe Bryant? Like, I've already accomplished so much. But in Kobe Bryant's mind, there is there is never, like, you've never reached your best because there's always room for improvement. It kind of reminds me of what Matthew McConaughey says when people ask him who is his hero. He says, when you ask Matthew McConaughey his hero, he says it's himself in 10 years. And then when he actually gets so, like, if you ask him that at 25 and he's 35, or when he turned 35, he'll say the same thing. Because you never really reach perfection. Because perfection isn't really something that exists for people. But to strive for perfection is something that many people lack or lack the ability to do. But it's something that like people like Kobe Bryant or elite athletes or elite, just elite people in general, if you strive for perfection and you want to improve and you care about getting better at your craft, it's something that will really um, like drive you or like make you stand out because of your effort level. So, yeah, that was really devastating for the sports world. Um, it's a tough way to start the show. Um, it was really tough to see Kobe Bryant pass away. I when Because Caden's the one that actually told me. And I didn't really believe it. Well, I don't want to say I didn't believe him, but, like, he texted me and was like, did you hear what happened to Kobe? And so anytime that, like, did you hear what happened? Like, I assume somebody gets, like, arrested. Somebody, like, says something scandalous. But, no, he told me he passed away, and I was like, I don't believe like, – I didn't really believe him because – Caden told me before every news outlet, which, by the way, the news outlets that handled or reported the stories of Kobe Bryant's passing were just abysmal in the, and their incorrectness, their lack of accuracy. It was just awful because they were reporting random things just to get the first story out. Like, one story reported that the helicopter crash was Kobe Bryant's whole family, which was not true as it was only his himself and his, his daughter, as he has his wife and, I believe, two or three, Two other daughters. Yeah, two other daughters. One of them who's less than a year old. So it's very unfortunate that he passed away because, honestly, that his youngest daughter will never have, will never really have memories of him. But thankfully, well, not, I mean, the closest thing she can have to memories, I guess, will be the stories of greatness that all the people will tell her because her dad was a great man. But also, I feel like because of technology, she'll be able to watch his growth and watch his him play basketball and be in his natural habitat. Um, Kobe Bryant really loved the sport of basketball, and he was so accomplished in it. And he's also an accomplished person as he 
was doing a little short series for ESPN called Detail where he would spotlight certain players and just talk about what they do really well, what they can improve on. And a lot of NBA players actually respected it. And a lot of NBA players go to or went to Kobe for advice because they wanted advice on how to be not just better shooters or better players in general. They wanted advice on how to work harder, how to be like the the hardest worker in the room, how to have that Mamba mentality because not everybody has it, but it is something that I think can be learned because if you're willing to, like I said before, if you're willing to put in the effort and the, put willing to put in the time, you can develop a mentality that will allow you to think that you're the best or that you can become the best. So, yeah, a lot of people will remember him for that. He also had a Oscar-winning short film called um, Love of Basketball, I believe. And I haven't really – I haven't seen it yet, um, but I really want to watch it. I think it's like a five-minute short film. But I heard it was really amazing. He won a, an Oscar for it, so it's obviously got to be pretty good. But, yeah, so rest in peace to Kobe Bryant. I know a lot of people have been affected by it. Um, the NBA players really – a lot of players were affected. I was kind of disappointed in the in the NBA that, like, the league itself that they made players play the game the day of or they made players play, like, the games, like, the day after because a lot of people, I, I think what a lot of people weren't realizing was that Kobe Bryant was so influential to not only just, like, everyday people like you and me, but he was influential to his peers. Like, people looked up to him. P- Kobe Bryant was someone that all for, or all NBA athletes and all professional athletes, like, if you didn't look up to Kobe, you acknowledge Kobe or you knew Kobe for how hard he worked and how good he was. So to lose someone of that importance and that stature is just crazy. And so it was really disappointing that the NBA made them play the games like the day of his passing because you could just see people were distraught. Um, Kyrie Irving, who was probably one of the more closer players to Kobe Bryant, was really affected. He took a few games off to kind of... Um, mourn the lo- the passing of Kobe and Gianna because I think we forget that these guys aren't robots that just play basketball. Like a lot of the times we just like expect them to be perfect and like we don't expect them to really have issues. But like when things like this happen, we really see their, their vulnerability and their how hu- like humane they are. Like they care about stuff too. And so it was just crazy to see that and very disappointing in the NBA, like I said. And then you could just see that it was – affected people everywhere like I remember vividly watching the Michigan State uh, point guard Cassius Winston who had just lost his brother recently early in the year to suicide um, his coach Tom Izzo telling him he was like Kobe Bryant passed away in a helicopter crash or in a Kobe Bryant passed away and you hear it's like he's not really mic'd up because he's getting interviewed by some like a it's a post-game interview so there's a microphone near him but you hear him go Kobe Bryant like everyone was in awe. Like he, you just didn't expect Kobe Bryant to pass away. Like when I told, I was talking to one of my friends about it, and I was like, honestly, I just expected like Kobe would live forever. Like as stupid as that sounds, like I just didn't really think of Kobe Bryant passing away. So it was just crazy to me. So it's really unfortunate. Um, so like I said before, before my thoughts and prayers are with the families affected. Um, now to get to some lighter things in sports, we did not. Uh, have any shows before the college football playoff talking about the playoff we we talked about our our rankings and like who we thought was going to make it but the college football playoff happened and let me tell you the LSU Tigers won and they won with vengeance they the LSU Tigers came to play like they didn't they did not let anybody push them around they didn't give anybody a spare chance 
They played in the first round Oklahoma University, which I'm disappointed Caden's not here because I'm not able to rub this in his face again. They beat Oklahoma 63-28, to which, side note, I think Oklahoma, like, obviously they've made it, which is more than Texas could say because I know a lot of people know I'm a Texas fan, so you're going to say at least they've made it. They've made it four times in their 0-4. So I think Oklahoma really needs to do some soul-searching and figure out how to take that next step on – because it doesn't matter about just getting there. Like, getting there is an accomplishment, but you don't get a ring or a banner for making it to the show. You got to you gotta get a ring or a banner for actually winning. So, they played rough. Jalen Hurts was awful. He was below 50% almost. Passing, he was 15 to 31, which, for all you mathematicians out there, was 48%. Um, Joe Burrow lit it up. He threw for 493 yards and seven touchdowns which was insane. Justin Jefferson had 14 catches for 230 yards and four touchdowns. Um, Oklahoma was just struggling. They were struggling to run the ball. Their leading rusher was Jalen Hurts, which wasn't on wasn't uncommon, but he wasn't really effective. He only had 43 yards rushing. Um, Kennedy Brooks had 10, 10 carries for 35 yards. As a team, they averaged three and a half yards rushing, which LSU's defense was, if I were to say I had a concern about LSU's team, it wasn't their offense or special teams. It was their defense. Their defense at times had shown the ability to get beat uh, in the passing game. So they played a lot of, like, shootout games in a way where their offense just proved, like, that they were far superior. I think the offense for LSU kind of covered up how, how uh, like, their defense had the chance or the ability to kind of get um, scored on easily. Like, they gave up 38 to Vanderbilt, but when your, your offense scores 66 points, it doesn't matter. Or, like, an, a prime example, they gave up uh, 20 to Auburn. It was 23-20. They gave up 41 to Alabama, and that was without Tua Tungavailoa. Or, that was with, excuse me, that was with Tua Tungavailoa. Don't listen to me. Um, but still, they, they gave up 41 points, which Alabama was an elite offense, but still. They gave up 37 points to Ole Miss, who, at the time, their quarterback was John Reese Plumey and Matt Corral. Like, they didn't really have a quarterback. So, I was concerned about LSU's defense, but they really brought it. They played well. They, As soon as they got the lead in both games, like I I knew that they weren't going to go back. LSU just seemed like that team of destiny at Orgeron is a player's coach that everybody loves because he's just a – he's different. Like they, they, um, Joe Burrow, the quarterback, told stories about Ed Orgeron when they were meeting, how they went to a restaurant and Coach O asked Ed – or Coach O asked Joe Burrow if he liked crawfish. And Joe was like, yeah, I like crawfish. And so they asked the restaurant for it. And the restaurant didn't have crawfish, so Ed Orgeron called his crawfish guy and had him bring it to the restaurant, and they prepared it for them because that's just the kind of guy he is. So he's, like, probably the most interesting man in football. Like, I don't know if you guys remember those commercials about the most interesting man in the world or, like, the alcohol commercial. I think it was, like, Heineken or Dos Equis or whatever. But Ed Orgeron's definitely the most interesting man in college football. And moving on to the championship game against Clemson, this was Trevor Lawrence's first loss in college. Um, as a as a starting as as a starting quarterback and as a quarterback in general, he's undefeated. Um, he didn't throw for any touchdowns. He he was struggling that game. He had a lot of overthrows. This is when LSU's defense really stood out to me. Um, they held Trevor Lawrence to forty eight percent passing, um, two hundred thirty four yards. And Trevor Lawrence is, in my opinion, I said that when he came into college, he would go down as the best college quarterback ever, and will go down as one of the best or one of the best quarterbacks ever in the history of the sport. And so for him to have a game that bad to where it kind of looked like he was scared almost in a way. Um, they really shut – they didn't 
I mean, they kind of shut down Travis Etienne. They only gave up 78 yards compared to he was probably averaging like over 100 yards a care or 100 yards a game. He was averaging on the season. He's averaging almost eight yards a carry, and for this game, he's averaging five yards a carry, which five yards is still good because that's half a first down. But when you go from averaging eight to five, that's a big difference. And then Trevor Lawrence just wasn't able to hit his passes. He was overthrowing a lot of his receivers, putting his receivers in jeopardy to get hit really hard. And they were struggling. He lost a fumble. And then their defense, I mean, they gave up 42 points. And they for a while, they kind of kept, kept Clemson in the game. But they really didn't do enough. Like, the offense didn't do enough. Clemson punted nine times for 355 yards. And when your punter has basically more yards of offense than your whole offense, that's not good. That's not the recipe for success. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. But, yeah, like I was saying, that's not the recipe for success when you punt nine times compared to LSU only punting. Let's see. How much did they punt? I mean, they punted seven times, but they were more efficient when it came to scoring at the beginning of the game. They had two sacks on Trevor Lawrence. They had a lot of tackles for losses. They had eight tackles for losses. Like, they came to play. Players like Philip Queen really – or Patrick Queen, excuse me, really showed up and showed out. Uh, Kristen Fulton, really, he really showed out. So, LSU is a team that – they honestly seem like the team of destiny. Coach O credited their success to – which this one really hurt to, really hurt to hear him say. Um, he credited – their season basically to beating Texas. And he says one play that stood out in particular was that third and 17 where the Texas defense who their defensive coordinator who's fired and now with USC taught Orlando sent basically the whole house on third and like 17, third and 15 and Joe Burrow completed a pass for first down and they kind of scored the dagger after that play, they scored a touchdown. And so it was really, um, unfortunate to see that as a Texas fan, but Coach O kind of rubbed salt in the wound by saying that was the play where they knew that they were special. And this LSU team was special. I do think it'll be interesting to see how they are next year because I believe they're losing a total of 16 players that are like 16 starters, um, including Joe Burrow, um, Justin Jefferson, um, their running back back Clyde Edwards-Elaire. They lost a lot of players on defense. So, and they lost... um, I can't believe I forgot this. Joe Brady, their offensive coordinator, he's going to Carolina with Matt Rule to coach the Panthers. They lost their defensive coordinator. He's going to coach Baylor so to, to uh, replace Matt Rule. So it'll be interesting. They replaced Joe Brady with Scott Linehan, who is the Cowboys offensive coordinator, which I'm really baffled at that hiring because Scott Linehan is probably five steps below Joe Brady in reference to, like, excitement or, like, um, speed of offense like the Cowboys were really kind of one-dimensional they were just they were run play action pass the whole time like whereas Joe Brady is the air raid Joe Brady's like the new era of offense and Scott Linehan's kind of like that old style we're going to run the ball we're going to use the run to benefit our passing game so it'll be interesting to see how LSU is next year especially since they're losing Joe Burrow like I mentioned they're going to have to find a new quarterback they have Miles Brennan who maybe could step up to the plate but he's a young guy that kind of got over overshadowed a couple times. So we're going to learn how good Miles Brennan is. We're going to learn how good of a coach coach. How good, I can't believe I just said coach coach. He's, we're going to learn how good of a coach that Ed Orgeron is. He's going to really have to um, find his next stars. I mean, they did keep a couple receivers, but like 
they're going to have to find a lot of players, which, I mean, it's not hard for LSU when you have a top-five recruiting class. But still, losing that many guys, especially coaches, it's tough. So we'll see how they do. Um, just commenting on the Final Four, since we haven't we didn't really get to talk about it, Ohio State, um, they had a couple controversial calls. They had a, a player get ejected for targeting on a questionable hit on Trevor Lawrence, who's about 6'6". He kind of lowered his head and got hit in the helmet. And I think what kind of fueled Clemson's fire and comeback of that game was Trevor Lawrence getting not only hit by that targeting call, but he was he kind of stayed down for a little bit. They put Chase Bryson for a couple plays, and so I kind of think that fueled Clemson, and I think that also rattled Ohio State. Um, Ohio State's another team that's going to be losing a lot of talent. They're losing Chase Young. probably the. Um, I think Chase Young's probably the best overall player in this upcoming draft. Um, they're losing their shutdown quarter in Jeff Okuda, and they're going to lose a few weapons like J.K. Dobbins. But they're still keeping Justin Fields at quarterback, so it'll be interesting to see Ohio State. I don't think they're really going anywhere. Um, they hauled in, thanks to Brian Hartline, and um, their wide receivers coach, they hauled in probably the best wide receivers, um, group of wide receivers, probably since, probably better than the Clemson one, probably better than any Alabama one, because they got Julian Fleming, uh, Mookie Cooper, uh I can't. I don't know how to say his last name. It's like NGBA, not Nogba or something. I'm guessing. I don't want to. I think that's what it is. But they, they brought in. He was voted the best recruiter, um, in college football because of the way of, or uh, how elite his class was. Because honestly, it was just insane as to how crazy good that class was, with all the talent they brought in. Because they're going to be losing some talent, but when you bring in players like Julian Fleming, um, Jackson Smith, Nin. Jinba, Jigba, that's the guy I'm trying to say. I don't know his name. G. Scott, Mookie Cooper, like I mentioned. Um, those are all guys that are four- and five-star players that really could have gone anywhere they wanted, and they all are going to the same school with probably one of the better quarterbacks in the nation with Justin Fields. I think he'll be a Heisman contender. And so that'll be interesting. So I think LSU next year will will struggle. I, th- I could see them losing a few games. I think – that Texas is going to go in not being biased. I just think that considering all the hires that we've made, hiring Mike Urich and our new defensive coordinator and David Ash, that – or not David Ash. Um, yeah, is it David Ash? Let me – hold on. Chris Ash, that's his name. So I think by hiring Chris Chris Ash and um, Mike Urich, that will really help the Longhorns because their offense was kind of stagnant last year. I think Tom Herman giving up the play calling – and just focusing on being an overall coach will really help out. But LSU's losing a lot of talent. They play a tough schedule, so I think LSU's going to struggle next year. I could see them losing three to four games. Um, Ohio State, I think they'll be back in the playoff next year. I I think it, it can. I don't want to predict it right now because I kind of want to wait until we get closer, but I do think that Ohio State will end up back in the college football playoff. Um, Oklahoma, I'm not sold on – I wasn't sold on them this year as one of the best four teams in college football, I think they just kind of – the cards kind of played themselves out for Oklahoma by them beating Baylor and then um, the Big Ten champions – Big Ten champion Ohio State Buckeyes beating the Gophers because I thought if Minnesota or Penn State played in the Big Ten championship and beat Ohio State, I think that both teams would have made it, Ohio State and whoever won. So Oklahoma kind of just played their way in, and Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley really, really haven't proved that they can – play defense when needed, and they really haven't proved... Like, they play defense well in certain games, like the Red River Shootout. Don't get me wrong, but 
they haven't played defense when it matters. Like in the college football playoff, they gave up 62 points. 62 points. That's a lot. That's a basketball. I don't think Oklahoma's basketball team can score that many points sometimes. So, and then Clemson. I mean, they have Trevor Lawrence. They're going to get a lot of their weapons back. Uh, Travis Etienne is coming back for his senior year. Their defense will be better. Um, They are losing Isaiah Simmons, who is probably, besides Chase Young, probably the second best defensive player in this NFL draft because he plays everywhere. He plays inside linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive back, um, safeties, corner, doesn't matter. So I think Clemson will, if they could replace some people on defense and kind of get that offense to go a little faster than they did this past year, I think I think losing for Clemson will only help them because I think Clemson kind of got in a, a, a championship hangover mode where they kind of forgot what it was like to – play with urgency. Trevor Lawrence looked a little bored at times. He looked like he was always going for the big play. So I think Davos Sweeney's really going to get on get on the boys and Clemson to make sure that they play up to their best ability because if Clemson plays up to their best ability, they'll be national champions again easily. So that's what happened in college football. Now moving on to the next level, this NFL Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the 49ers, which that was a great game. I was – I was pulling for the 49ers. I predicted the score was going to be kind of a a high-scoring game. I predicted 45-38 with the Niners winning because I thought that the Niners were going to be able to to defend Patrick Mahomes well enough, which at first, the Niners had the game in their control. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, The 49ers should have won the game. I think they blew the game by... Which it's tough for Kyle Shanahan to to lose another Super Bowl and blow a lead. At least this one wasn't twenty five points; it was only a ten point lead. But after that that pick, I really thought the 49ers had the game. But Jimmy Garoppolo just pay, played really bad. He had he threw for two hundred nineteen yards on twenty completions, which that sounds good. But his completions were all under. He was missing throws. He threw for one touchdown, and two picks, which his last pick was just. It was the dagger, and there's memes out there of Jimmy Garoppolo getting hit with his eyes closed, and he's just like, F it. Debo Samuel's got to be down there somewhere, and that's honestly what it looked like sometimes. Like, the Chiefs defense really stepped up because, like the LSU defense, I think the Chiefs defense was the the weak point for the championship team, and, like, they came out to play, I think, after Tyron Matthew kind of had, I wouldn't say a meltdown, but he was going off on the sideline just yelling at everybody. And I think after that happened, that kind of kicked the Chiefs into high gear because – Patrick Mahomes threw for two interceptions, which in the or excuse me, and on the broadcast they were explaining that that was the first time he's thrown an interception over 150 passes, and the first time he's thrown two interceptions in a game, and like I think almost half the se- like I don't think he's done that all season, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So for him to throw two interceptions in one game, and that game being the Super Bowl, because he only had five interceptions on the year, I think that kind of rattled Patrick a little bit. So. They really relied on Damian Williams, who I thought Damian Williams, in my opinion, could have got Super Bowl MVP. He had 17 carries for 104 yards. He had four catches for 29 yards and a touchdown, and he had a rushing touchdown. I thought it was Damian Damian Williams' award to win because he kind of he kept them in the game and he kind of got them back in the game. Minus, I mean, they did get the interception, but. Damian Williams was just always that constant that was keeping the Chiefs' offense alive because Patrick Mahomes, like, at first I was convinced that was the worst Patrick Mahomes performance I've seen since his college days because in college he was kind of just a gunslinger that would throw it up and just, like, kind of rely on his arm talent too much, and that's kind of what he was doing. He played 
after he threw the first interception, he looked a little scared. Like, me and Caden were talking about it, and we noticed that he wasn't throwing his hardest. And, like, obviously he's not, like, lobbing the ball, but you could tell he was holding back a little. Like, he wasn't winding up. He wasn't throwing on the run as much. He wasn't trying to go for the flashy flashy passes. And so it was very un-Patrick Mahomes-like of him to not um, really stand out like he we've been accustomed to seeing him play. And the 49ers defense was getting pressure on him. The 49ers defense basically was winning the 49ers the game until the fourth quarter. They sacked Patrick Mahomes four times, and then when the fourth quarter came, they just they got tore apart. And the 49ers, they the they're they relied heavily on their running game. The play playoff game before with Robert um, Mosar going for over 200 yards, but against the Chiefs, he only ran for 58 yards on basically averaging 4.8 yards a carry, which going off as much as he did the game before to then all of a sudden you could barely get anything going. It was it was tough to see. Debo Samuel was honestly the best player in the game for the 49ers. I would say him and Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, were probably the most impactful, which Kyle Juszczyk had three catches and a touchdown, but they weren't really um, playing to their capabilities, and it was just once the fourth quarter started, like I mentioned, it just went downhill, so it was tough to see. Um, I do think the 49ers can be back, and let me get something off my chest as a um, – I'm not a diehard 49er fan, but I definitely root for them because they're a local team, and that was my first NFL game. So I, they kind of have some sentiment in my heart. Um, shout out to Kristen for taking me to the game that we went to the – 49er Rams game that ended on a last second field goal. That was great. But the 49ers are a very young team. I think people are forgetting that. Like their core um, defensive line, like all their defensive linemen are young guys. Like Nick Bosa, he was a rookie. Eric Armstead, I think this was only his third, second or third year in the league. Um, they have Solomon Thomas, who he hasn't really panned out the way they were hoping, but he's still an impactful player. He's young. Like, let me just give you their their core defensive players. Like, Fred Warner, he's he's 23. Kawan Williams, 28. Okay, that's kind of old and football age. DeForest Buckner is 25. He's an impact player. Jaquaski um, Tart, 28. All these guys are below 30. Like, Richard Sherman's the oldest player at 31, which Richard Sherman did get exposed by Sammy Watkins in that game. Don't be, get me wrong, but Richard Sherman's a guy that he's really helpful for the team. Dre Greenlaw's 22. Um, they just have a lot of young talent on their team. And so their defense will be back. And I think if they could draft um, a good defensive back in the lower part of the round or maybe um, draft – because this is a heavy receiver draft and they might lose Emmanuel Sanders – um, they do have Jalen Hurd, who kind of had like a red shirt. Not Jalen Hurts, Jalen. Hurd, the running running back change to receiver um, guy out of Baylor. He kind of had like a red shirt season. I think he'll be more impactful next season for Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. But I think what a lot of people are saying is that Jimmy Garoppolo lost his job and that the 49ers should pursue a 42-year-old Tom Brady to replace him. But Jimmy Garoppolo is 28 years old, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's he's not super young, but let's just consider something. He's been in the league since 2014, in which he played six games in, in 2014, five games in 2015, six games in 2016, 
but he was only playing for Tom for Tom Brady when Tom Brady was out. And then when he did get to play that that stretch when Tom Brady was suspended, he was tearing it up. And then he played when he was traded to the 49ers, he played five game the last five games it was, or the last six games, excuse me. And they went undefeated. And then last year he tore his ACL, so he only got to play three games. And this year was his first full season as a starter. I think a lot of people are forgetting to factor that into Jimmy Garoppolo is I wouldn't say this is his rookie season, but if you add up the games that he's played and like their totality totality of how meaningful they were, um, like he only attempted four passes in 2015. He attempted 27 in 2014, so nothing special. But in 2016 was the most, like that was the first time he actually attempted over 50 passes. And then obviously when he came to the 49ers, he attempted over 70 or he attempted 78. And then he tore his ACL the next year. I think Jimmy Garoppolo really is basically like this is kind of his second year technically of playing a full season. Like this next season will be. So I think people still need to give him a chance because at 28, he should be hitting his prime, right? And he should be better and learn from his mistakes. Like Jimmy Garoppolo is a smart guy. He played under Tom Brady. He learned from probably the greatest quarterback of all time. So he could probably get with Tom Brady and learn about what he needs to do better because, honestly, the 49ers, like I said, have that game in the bag. Like, the the Lombardi Trophy was going to come to Santa Clara because if you don't know this, that's where the San Francisco 49ers play. But the trophy was all packed up, ready to go to Santa Clara. The 49ers had it in the bag. They just needed to score a touchdown, score a field goal, anything, get points on the board. But they were turning the ball over. Defense couldn't get stops. And it really affected them negatively. So... When you have a team struggle that badly in the fourth quarter, I think Kyle Shanahan should definitely learn from this experience. There's no need to file Kyle, fire Kyle Shanahan. He's coached amazingly. He got you guys to that point. Like, if you're thinking about getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo or Kyle Shanahan, you're stupid. Like, you're genuinely stupid because, yes, they did um, win, like, two games last year. May I remind you, Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt. Kyle Shanahan was his. It was his first year um, as a f- like full time head coach, and so you can't really blame Jimmy Garoppolo. Or no, it was yeah, was it? Yeah, I think it was. It was the second year, I think. But it was like their second year together, and Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. You have quarterbacks like C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins, who they're they're solid. They're not going to ever be starter ca- starting caliber quarterbacks, and if they. They're the starting quarterback for your team. Your team's not going to do that well. And that's what the 49ers had, okay? And they didn't have any wide receiver weapons. And so this year was basically the first year that we got to see Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan at full potential, and it was great. Um, we saw the emergence of Robert Mostart, Mozart, Mozart. I, I always butcher his name. Um, he's a great running back that was cut seven times and finally gets to stick. He sticks with the Niners, and all of a sudden he – He's getting MVP of the NFC Championship games. Like he was, he was tearing it up. So I think people just need to be patient, as Aaron Rodgers would say, relax, R E L A X, relax about the 49ers because they have a lot of potential for next year. I think they could very well, if they add some pieces, um, maybe make some changes to the defensive side. Um, I hate to say this because Richard Sherman's one of my favorite players in the league. I think he either needs to move to safety or. They shouldn't let him 
how do I put this nicely? Like Richard Sherman has covered Sammy, Sammy Watkins. With Sammy Watkins is a speedy guy. Richard Sherman's just slow. So I, I don't want to agree with the, the narrative that he's a zone coverage corner, but he definitely was getting beat when he was trying to pick up on those guys man on man. So it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. Um, this is also his first season coming off an, an Achilles injury, I believe. So the it was basically a lot of firsts for the 49ers. I think they will be back. So don't. Don't hang your hats, 49er fans. Don't don't get all mad. Don't be call for heads. Don't be calling for jobs. You have a young core. You have a young coach who's going to learn from his mistakes, I'm assuming. I mean, he should. Otherwise, he's going to lose a job. You guys have some draft picks that you could utilize. There's always some sleepers in the draft. Um, there's a, a big free agency class this, this year. So a lot can happen for you guys. Moving on to my final segment of the day. Um, me and Kane will talk about this more. Um, the NBA All-Star Game format was something that I was skeptical at first because I was like, honestly, I really don't care about the NBA All-Star Game because it's basically, like, I really don't watch the NBA All-Star Weekend, like, um, challenges because, like, I, I'm kind of interested in the dunk contest, but, like, people just get too caught up in, like, the importance of it. Like, I don't think Derek Jones Jr. was robbing Aaron Gordon, like, his dunk was clearly better, in my opinion. Um, Aaron Gordon pushed off a Taco Fall's head, and uh, Derek Jones went between the legs and jumped over someone. Didn't touch them at all. So, honestly, I was more impressed. They had to pick a winner. Everybody needs to stop hating on Dwayne Wade for giving the nine. Like, Aaron Gordon, like, you, you're a great dunker. You're a great athlete. Like, get over it. You didn't win. It happens. Um, the three-point shootout, Buddy Heald won, which that. Three-point shootout's not bad. I don't really care about skills competition, but um, Bam Adebayo did win that. So uh, two Heat guys won um, some events on All-Star Weekend, which the Heat are a really good team this year, which we'll talk about next week. But I was intrigued by I didn't watch the All-Star game until basically the last quarter. I watched the whole last quarter, a couple, couple minutes of the first, and I was just kind of over it. But I was interested to see the intensity in the fourth quarter because they went to what is called the Elam ending, which I had never heard of the Elam ending until I watched the basketball tournament, which is like a summer tournament, one-game elimination, where teams play for a million dollars to split between their team. And you add the score of the winning team. You add, I believe, what's an – I forget. Uh, there's like a target score. I forget how it's calculated. But, like, say both teams are at 130 and they put a target score at 160. First team to 160 wins. There's no clock. There's like, so that kind of speeds the game up. It makes it more interesting. And, honestly, I'd never seen a more intense and entertaining all-star game. So I was really pleased with that product. I was also pleased with the NBA um, that they named the um, all-star MVP award after Kobe Bryant because he did win a few of those. Like I mentioned before, he was four-time all-star MVP. So it's cool for him to, or cool for me to see that the award was named after him. And it was cool to see that they had team LeBron wearing number two in honor of Gianna. And then they had team Giannis wearing number 24 in honor of Kobe. Um, just like a little tribute to them as they wanted to do everything they can to make Kobe Bryant remembered. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Kobe Bryant the switched to, is sub subs Jerry logo or Joey Jerry logo. I mean, he is the logo Jerry West out as the logo 
Um, be, just because Kobe Bryant was that influential, Jerry West says he, that he'd be okay with it. I think it'd be one thing if Jerry West died and then we switched it, but like Jerry West is giving permission for Kobe to be the logo. And Jerry West was really close to Kobe. Um, if you didn't know this, he's the one that drafted Kobe. So they're, they've been close his whole career or he traded for Kobe, excuse me. So they've been close like their whole lives basically. So I do think that Kobe should get the switch, but back to the all-star game, that was just pure entertainment. Like I loved how intense it was. I loved how the players actually looked like they cared about the outcome of the game because they also the winning team of each quarter, because it was like split up into four quarters as each game is obviously, but the winning team of each quarter donated, I think it was like a hundred thousand or ten thousand dollars to a charity of their choice. And then the winner got three hundred thousand, I think, to a charity of their choice. So a lot was on the line for these guys. And it was just really cool for them to see. It was really cool for me to see them trying and like there were some young guys, ten first year um, play or not first year players, ten players. It was their first time making it to the All Star game, so that was awesome as well. It was just a great event, and I think they should keep the format for the All Star game with the Elam ending. And I do think that it would um, make the All Star game more appealing to people because the NBA ratings have been down. And so I think if they add some more pizzazz and like some flair to the NBA schedule or NBA um, season like this, it'll be really beneficial for the NBA in general. So that was just a great event. Um, Team LeBron won. Kawhi Leonard got the MVP. Um, The only thing I didn't like, and this is kind of on the refs, but it also showed that they were treating the game as an actual game. The game ended on a free throw by Anthony Davis, which that kind of sucked because you kind of want to see someone hit. Like LeBron pulled up from three, like a deep three. He pulled up from the logo to try to win the game, and he missed. And then the other team got the rebound, and they lost the ball. So you kind of just wanted something cool to happen. Like you wanted a game-winning three. Like it was very anticlimactic for the game to end on a free throw. Like granted, it was still a great game, but it was just like all the all the players were even wanting the ball to be taken out. Like they wanted the game to end on something more dramatic and something more like, like oh my goodness, not like a, a one-and-one free throw by Anthony Davis, which, I mean, he missed the first and made the second. He said he missed the first on purpose to add pressure which, I mean, that was the best thing that he could have done for, honestly, himself because it will give him, like, a little experience. Like, I know you guys all remember playing basketball in your front yards where you're counting down from three to hit a game-winning three in the NBA game center of the NBA Finals. So that kind of gives him, like, a simulation of a high-pressure pressure situation because the crowd in Chicago was – they were rocking out there. It was, it was pumped. They were pumped. So it was cool to see him in his hometown hit the game-winner. Um, it was also cool to see Kawhi – who might be the next face. I don't think he'll be the face, but he might be the best player in the NBA besides LeBron right now. Um, a lot of people are saying Giannis, but Kawhi, I think if he played more games and didn't um, load manage, have like load management issues, I think Kawhi could easily make a case for the top player in the world. So a lot has happened in sports. Um, a lot of great things, a lot of sad things, like I mentioned Kobe Bryant's passing. Um, thank you for listening. My name is Kevin Borba. Um, this episode will be posted on SoundCloud, obviously, and there will be a video episode next week when Caden comes back, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. This is the Wind Column.